Thanks, worship team. Good morning. Really good to be here. Um, thanks, worship team. The presence of God is actually with us in a very nice, tangible, sweet, sweet way. God is a good God. And it's great to be um, among a, a group of people who just love God, who are just pursuing his heart. You know, take a whole weekend off just to seek God, be in his presence, encounter him. Thanks, Trav, for the opportunity to share. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, John. <laughs> and thanks, Tara, for that wonderful message yesterday. That was really good. Yeah, there was so much, so much in there. You know, and one of the things I learned was that, you know, everything, in the old, everything you see in the Bible is for, for me, for you. But I say for me, dreams, visions, the audible voice, um, the encounter with God, it's for me, you know. Um, and God wants to encounter us. Just as we want to encounter him, he also wants to encounter us. He wants to come and visit us. And that's why he's present here in our midst this morning. And yesterday, I just had this sense that you know, we are almost at a point where the spirit and the presence of God is just going to flood our gatherings. It will be so tangible. God will be so present in our midst. You would actually know it. You would actually feel it or sense it. We are almost there. We are almost there. Amen. And, we, and as we keep on pressing on and seeking after God, I believe we will definitely get there. And it's sooner than, than many of us think. It's going to happen sooner than many of us think. Amen. So today, this morning, I will be talking about encountering God through the Word. Um, I almost gave Trav a curveball that I'm going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ yesterday. <laughs> and his eyes just widened and... <laughs> And went back to their normal size. I said, okay, he knew, he got me that I was um, playing my usual jokes. But that's okay. <laughs> so let us start with, um, let's start with a scripture in, um, Matthew 29, verse Matthew 22, verse Okay, um, so 
I've heard this saying that God is, doesn't work with formulas, that God is not a formula God, that you don't put in numbers in and get numbers out. And there is some truth to that. But then God has ways. The Bible says that God showed to Moses, God showed to the children of Israelites his works, but to Moses he showed his ways. And then there's another place in the Hebrews which says that God was displeased with the children of, four, of Israel because for 49 works they displeased him. And he said that he's really displeased with this um, group of people because they have not known his ways. So God does have ways. God is not an arbitrary God. There is a pattern to the way God operates, and there is a way that God walks. And God wants us, his children, to understand his ways so that we can walk with him. And so, generally, God um, operates in the life of his people, in the life of each individual believer and the church as a whole in two ways. He walks through the word, and he walks through the spirit. And they are actually very distinct. And let's read this scripture in Matthew 20, um, 22, 29. It says, But Jesus said to them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection state, neither do men marry, nor are women given in marriage. Amen? <laughs> I, I had a friend who says, I must get married before Jesus' second coming. But... <laughs> But they are like the angels. Oops, sorry, Travis, I said I wouldn't go there. <laughs> but they are like the angels in heaven. But as to the resurrection of the dead, have you, ever, have you never read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. I just love the scriptures. I just love Jesus Christ. You know, each time I read about Jesus Christ, he's just, the, um, he's just the, the things you see, just amazing, just amazing. And Tara was reading this scripture yesterday. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. You know, when you read that scripture, what comes to mind? This, you, you think about the stories of, um, uh, of Abraham's walk with God and Isaac's walk with God. You think about... Um, Jesus Christ, about God appearing to Moses at the burning bush. But when Jesus Christ reads the same scripture, he sees something different. He sees the resurrection from the dead. And I'm just amazed. How can you read this scripture? I see something else. And you read it and you see something else. You see the resurrection of the dead. But that's the difference between reading it from your own understanding and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will bring out depths of the scripture that are actually there, but are not easily seen by the natural human reason. And so Jesus could read this scripture and the Holy Spirit, because he was reading it as a normal human being, he emptied himself of his own power and glory and had to depend on the Holy Spirit to teach him. And so he will read this scripture and the Holy Spirit illuminated for him to him that in this scripture is actually the resurrection from the dead. But really that's not where I'm going. Where I'm going is from um, verse 29. You are wrong because you neither know the scriptures 
nor the power of God. Notice how Jesus Christ made a distinction between encountering God. You can encounter God in the, by the scriptures or you can encounter God by the power of God. And this is another beautiful scripture because Jesus was talking to the, um, the, the renowned minister of God, or the renowned teachers of the doctrine, those that had doctors of divination. They had their big PhDs by the name. They were the doctors of the law. And Jesus Christ said, said to them, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. I mean, that was the biggest insult you could actually give those guys. I know in the days of my trash talking, and God has delivered me from all that, I will read this scripture and say, oh my goodness, give me this brilliance. So that I'll be able to reply with this Tell the doctors and the divinity, um, doctors of divinity that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. But the point is that you can know God by the scriptures or by the word of God, and you can know God by the power of God. You can encounter God by the word of God, and you can encounter God by the spirit of God. There are two distinctions, and the Bible consistently makes these distinctions throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures. You see the wo the word. And you see the scriptures, uh, the spirit. Many times the spirit is used as the power of God. Like in this particular scripture, it says you neither know the scriptures, which is the word, or the power, which is the spirit. Let's also look at, just to solidify that point, let's look at Acts 6. Acts 6. And we will read from verse, we'll just jump through a few verses to illustrate this point. Let's start from three. Therefore, select out from among yourselves men, brethren, seven men of good attested repute, of good and attested character and repute, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we may assign to look after this duty. And there it is again, full of the spirit and wisdom. Wisdom in this place refers to the word of God. So you can be full of the spirit, and you can also be full of the word, which gives you wisdom. Then jump to Acts verse 5. It says, and the suggestion pleased the whole assembly, and they selected Stephen A man full of faith and full and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And note the phrase, they selected Stephen, a man full of faith and full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says full of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you are full of faith, you are full of the word, and you can also be full of the spirit. So there's the Bible, and then, you know, you read in Acts 4, and you read in Acts 7. In Acts 4, the Bible, Jesus was talking, he says, um, whoever give this water, this water will become in him a well springing up to eternal life. 
Acts 4, Jesus Christ talked about a well of living water. In Acts 7, the Bible says, on that day, on, that, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried with a loud voice and said, let he who thirsts come unto me and drink. And as the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, who those who were to believe on him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that those rivers of living water that Jesus Christ was talking about in that particular scripture refers to the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, the well of living water refers to eternal life you get when you get born again. And there is that same distinction, the word and the spirit. You get born again by faith in John 4, and then you get filled with the spirit, and, and the rivers of living water flow out of you. So that's that distinction again, the word and the spirit. And if you read through the book of Acts, you also notice that same pattern throughout from Acts 1 right down to Acts 28, the end of the book. Acts is basically divided into two portions. One portion refers to the work of Peter, and the second portion refers to or focuses on the work of Paul. And you see the word and the spirit in both of them. But the emphasis is somehow different. In, Pete, in Peter's part of, the, of Acts, the spirit has a preeminence, the work of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible talks about signs, wonders, mighty deeds, miracles, the raising of the dead, constantly throughout Peter's ministry. Of course, you hear the word, but it, it seems to have a more... Um, so, or back, it seems to be in the background. But when you read about Paul from Acts 13, 15, further down, the emphasis now switches. The Bible talks about Paul would go into the synagogue and argue with them from day to night, from the scriptures, proving from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Of course, Paul had miracles. The Bible says God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. That's in Acts. But the emphasis had changed from the, the word now began to take the first position. It began to take center stage. And the spirit was also there as well. But it was, um, it, it was so, so to speak, subordinate or in the background. The word and the spirit. And there's a reason for this. And we will come to that um, later on when we're um, sharing. But there's a distinction between the two. The, dis one, the one distinction is that when you have the word, the, the, the word operates at your own initiative, by your own will. So anytime you can pick up the word and apply it to your life and encounter God through the word, but the Spirit operates at his own will. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible talks that, likewise, that the Spirit gives gifts according to his own will. So you can't force the Holy Spirit to manifest himself. You can prepare the atmosphere. You can position yourself aright. But you can't, he does it according to his will. And many times we don't even know why he manifests in some ways, at some times, and to certain people, 
We just don't know why. It's his sovereign will, and he does it according to his own will and purpose. But we can create a right atmosphere. But the word you can use at any time, it is given to you to use, to live by the word, and to walk by the word, and to encounter God at all times by the word. So that's one difference. The word is operated according to your own will. The spirit is operate, uh, uh, operates according to his own will. One distinction. The second distinction is the word frequently, not all the time, but frequently operates as a process. The word, the Bible says, is a seed. Mark's four. Mark 4, Jesus Christ was talking about the parable of the sower. And he says that the sower sows the seed. And the seed enters into the soil, sends forth its roots, germinates, sends forth branches, and brings forth fruit. And that is a process of growth. So the sec but the Holy Spirit can manifest miracles instantly. And so sometimes when you, know, you are believing God for something... And in prayer, it seems to be taking a while. And that's because the word has to grow till it bears the fruit, which is what you want. But the Holy Spirit is the worker of miracles. Instantaneously, someone can be healed or can receive any kind of miracle. And the, the word can also do that. Sometimes the word works instantaneously, but frequently it's through a growth process. But the Spirit of God can operate instantaneously. And you see it in Acts, when people, uh, a lame man was instantly healed. Uh, people with sicknesses are instantly healed. The dead are instantly raised. That is the power of the Spirit. And that is another distinction between the two. And there, there are a number of other distinctions. Um, they walk together, but they, but they frequently can walk distinctly and separately. And we need to understand the distinction so that we can know how to receive from God, so that we can know how to walk with God. You know, the word of God is given to every believer to use in your life and to encounter God. And the Holy Spirit is there to support you. Now, we are talking about um, Acts, about, you know, there's this pattern about the latter and the former rain in the Bible. The rain refers to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit came in the early days of Acts as the latter rain because the seed was planted and the seed tends to be like a, a, a young, young babies in Christ. They don't really know and understand the word. And so they need the support of the Holy Spirit to do things for them. Because in a sense, they are babies. But after some time, God wants you to feed on the word and begin to grow in the word so that you can use the word for yourself. And in such instances, God will leave you to learn how to walk. God doesn't expect us to be babies forever. It doesn't work. It's not good for you. It's not good for the body of Christ. After some time, you have to leave the nursery so that other babes in Christ can occupy the nursery. You know, so God many times will put you down and say, begin to walk. It's actually in the Bible. <laughs> it's in Hebrews 5. Uh, we can look at it. It talks about um, 
certain believers at this time, you, the, the scripture says, let us read it. Hebrews 5, verse, I believe it's verse 12. For even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you over again the first principles of God's word. You have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness, for he is a mere infant. But solid food is for full-grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to distinguish and discriminate between good and evil. The Bible here talks about a certain group of people. They, for, they had been Christians for a long time. But they hadn't used the word. They hadn't applied the word. They hadn't studied the word. They hadn't fed on the word. They hadn't practiced the word. And the result was that when they, had, when they ought to have been adults, they were still babes. They still needed milk. But God was saying that you have to grow up. You really have to grow up. Um, and so in Acts, you can see that many times... You know, when you first get born again, the Holy Spirit is there. You pray. You, it seems as if your prayers are answered instantaneously. You see, you get encounters with God. You know, it's so easy. You just experience God. Then after some time, it seems as if you go through a period of drought. Things seem so dry. Uh, it, this tends to happen with many Christians. It's happened with me. Things seem so dry. Things seem to not to just work as it used to be. And why is that? Because God now expects you to feed on the Word to meditate on the word, to study the word, to act on the word, so that you can begin to apply the word and not depend always on God's own initiative to get you what you want or to get you where you need to be. God wants to move you away from milk onto solid food. So the rain comes when you are a young believer, and the Holy Spirit is always there to support and guide you. But after some time, God wants you to learn the word, to feed on the word, to know the word for yourself, to know him through the word, to encounter him through the word. But it doesn't mean the spirit goes away. The spirit is always there to support you. But he's no, he knows when to let you walk on your own. And when he needs to, you know, come in to help you. And then after some time when you've grown, the Bible talks about the latter rain. Interestingly, the book of Acts doesn't get to that point. You know, we don't see another outpouring of the Holy Spirit like we did in, um, in the initial parts of Acts, Acts 2. We don't see that. And why is that? And scholars, and I believe that, as well, that the book of Acts is incomplete. That there's still coming a second um, period where God will pour out his spirit even in a greater measure in the latter and the former reign. Because his, his children, his people have grown, have developed roots in the world. Their roots have gone down and they are able to withstand the latter reign. And the latter reign tends to be more torrential. And the latter rain comes, and that's a measure of the Holy Spirit 
to a greater dimension that they experience in Acts. So God is reserving the best of his spirit for the last. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. He's reserving the best and the fullness of his spirit for his children after the word has taken root in them and they are able to withstand the awesome outpouring of the spirit of God. And then they can walk in the fullness of the word and the spirit. So that is why it's very important. It is crucial for us to get into the word. It is crucial for us to understand um, God from the point of view of his word. Our attitude to the word should be the same attitude that God has to his word. You know, in Psalm 138 verse 2, the Bible says that God has exalted his word far above all his name. That is a very comp complex scripture, deep and rich, and it has many reasons, many meanings. But one of the more important meaning is that God esteems his word very, very highly. The Bible says God watches over his word to perform it. That heaven and earth will pass away, but not an iota, not a jot, not a hook of his word will ever pass away. Hebrews 10 says that God desiring to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable nature of his purpose, he interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to prove false, we who have had, who, we who have had confidence, we who have placed our hope in him would have confidence to lay hold of the hope which he set before us. You know, God says that his word is unchangeable. God would rather be dethroned from his throne of glory than for his word to fail. He says that to the children of Israel, of all the promises that he gave them, not one failed. The most important char character about God's nature is his integrity. His integrity and his faithfulness to his word. God's word can never fail. If there's anything that can be trusted in this world, it is the word of God. If there's anything that God holds more highly than all his other attributes, it is his word. And that's why Jesus Christ is called the word of God. God honors his word so much that he calls his son the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is God, and the, the written word is given to reveal the living word. And the written word or the spoken word is equivalent to the living word, Jesus Christ. So as you read this scripture, you are actually encountering God. You are experiencing God. You are talking with God. You are walking with God. That is what the word of God is. And God expects us to have the same kind of value that he places on his word. We also have to have that same value on the word. The word will never fail you. It doesn't matter what your, you, th you think your experience is, but the word of God never, ever fails. The Holy Spirit may not manifest himself, but the word of God is always there. And whenever you step out on the word, it will manifest God. Um, let's look at John. Uh, my, uh, 
John verse 5. Sorry, John chapter 5. And here Jesus Christ was talking to... Um, the Pharisees, verse 39. It says, you search and investigate. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. You search and investigate and pour over the scriptures diligently because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. But these scriptures testify about me. You know, that was the scriptures we are giving to us to testify about Jesus Christ, to reveal to us Jesus Christ so that we can encounter God. Um, and the Pharisees were searching the scriptures, and people read the scriptures for different reasons. We can read the scriptures to impress our friends, just to quote and, you know, just impress people. I had a friend back in Nigeria who could quote three quarters of the New Testament, and I was impressed. <laughs> but that's not the reason we study the Word. You can study the Word because it's a historic book. Because, and it's actually really, this is history, and it really amazes me. Recently, I was reading about the Kingdom of Persia, secular, secular history, and, I, and they were talking about Cyrus, and how the king of Cyrus was a modern-day liberal. He believed in diversity and equality. <laughs> so he, uh, and, he le and that's one reason he let the, um, um, the children, the Jews, back to their land. And historically, that is a fact. He let the people, many, not only the Jews, but many other religions go back to their homeland and worship as they wanted. So the Bible is a historic book, and there are historic facts in the Bible. And you can study the Bible just for the sake of history. But that's not why we study the Bible. We don't study the Bible to impress. We don't study the Bible as a historic book. We can study the Bible as a out of duty because it's the right thing to do. We are Christians. We read our Bibles and we pray. It's the right thing to do. But that's not why we study the Bible. The, we study the Bible because the, the scripture says that they testify of Jesus Christ. They reveal Jesus Christ. They show you God. They allow you to encounter God. 2 Corinthians verse chapter 3. Verse 18, it says, And all of us with unveiled face continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This scripture is saying that 
when we look into the word, we are looking into the glory of God. And we're actually recognizing and beholding God. And as we recognize and we behold him, we ourselves are also transformed and changed into his same, in the same glory. Now, the interesting thing is that this scripture is taking its roots or referral to the same encounter that Moses had on the mountain of God when he went to receive the um, Ten Commandments. And let's go there. Exodus 33. Yeah, I tend to use a lot of scriptures because we encounter the God through the scriptures. Exodus 33. From 18. It says, And Moses said, I beseech you, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, before you. For I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy and loving kindness on whom I will show mercy and loving kindness. But he said, you shall not see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place beside me, and you shall pass upon you shall stand upon the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a, a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is a very interesting scripture. And it was fulfilled in Exodus 24, verse 5. Now, this was Moses. Moses just as Tara mentioned yesterday, was curious, was inquisitive, wanted to know more, wanted to go further. I mean, God was actually present with him and talking with him face to face, but that wasn't enough. He said, I want more. I want to see your glory. I want to go deeper. The glory of God is the most sacred thing in, of God that he would otherwise protect, but he now reveals that publicly out to, for everyone to behold and see. And that's actually what Moses wanted to see. I want to see your weights. I want to see your greatness. I want to see the truth and the essence of your being. I want to know you deeper. And because of Moses' curiosity and desire to know God more, he said, okay, I'll show you what you can see. And verse... Five. Now, this is a really, really in interesting scripture because in the Old Testament, you can actually see the Trinity of God at work in many places, you know, and that somehow is very encouraging for the New Testament. Unfortunately, the Jews weren't able to see that. But verse 5 says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Notice, so Moses, God placed Moses in a cleft. And um, God said, I'm going to cover you with my hand, and then I'm going to pass by you. But when we read this scripture, it seems a little bit confusing. So Moses played, God placed Moses in that cleft, and he says, and the Lord descended in the cloud 
and stood with him. So the Lord actually descended and was standing with Moses in a cloud. And the Lord now proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the God of mercy and the God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, keeping mercy and loving kindness for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilt, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste to bow his head towards the ground, the earth and worshipped. What actually happened here? Generally in the Bible, when you see the hand of God, it's also talking about the Holy Spirit. So what happened was that God placed Moses in a cleft, the Holy Spirit in a cloud, so as not to shine his full glory, comes and stands with Moses and shields him. And then Jesus, I believe, passes by in, the, in his full splendor and glory. And after he passed by, the Holy Spirit now takes away that cloud that was shielding um, Moses so that Moses could see the after effect, the after radiance of Jesus Christ as he passes by. So that's, and of course, God was speaking, the Father was speaking with him, giving him the Ten Commandments. So that's actually what happened here. And Moses saw the glory of God. Now remember, we are talking about that scripture in 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3 is saying that through the word, we can experience this same thing that Moses experienced. That we can actually see the glory of God. That God doesn't need to shield our face with a veil. But we, we can actually look into the word and see the full glory of Jesus. The Bible says the glory of God that is in the face of Christ. And that's why I believe that the Lord who passed by was Jesus Christ. Because we look and we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the word of God is given to us to experience God in exactly the same way that Moses experienced God. Now, the, many of the difficulty we have sometimes is that we try to experience God through the word of God, maybe on the pages of the book, or through the word of God in our head. But we experience God through the word of God in our, from our hearts. The word of God is a seed. Mark 4, Mark 4 this parable of the sower teaches how to apply the word. That you take the word, you plant it in your heart, you meditate upon it day and night, you study it, you practice it. It begins to germinate and bear fruit. It sends down its roots deep into your, your, um, your spirit. It sends out shoots. Of course, there will be enemies of the word. The devil and the world do not want to see the word come to pass in your life. So they will send um, people to stample, trample and walk over the place where you place the word to kill it. They will send rocks and stones to prevent moisture from growing, getting into the word. He, he will send thorns and thistles to try and choke the word. But you have to, you know, cater, you have to tend the word for it to grow and bear fruit. And it's in the bearing of fruit that you will encounter God through the word. We don't have to wait and ex expect to experience God only through the spirit. Because your life will be up and down. 
Because you can't control the manifestation of the spirit, but you can from the word. Personally, in my own life, you know, God has dealt with me. You know, God deals with us differently. You know, um, some people see visions. Um, others don't. Some people dream dreams frequently. Others, not really. Some people hear voices, God speaking to them, you know. So we are all different in the way we experience God for some reason. But we can always experience God through the word. And personally, God has dealt with me through the word alone. In, in my growing up, it was, it's, it's as if I never experienced these supernatural things that other people experience. You know, and that's another distinction between the word and the spirit. So when many times the word is supernatural, but not necessarily spectacular, the spirit tends to be, when the Holy Spirit manifests himself, he tends to be spectacular. He creates awe and wonder. Now the word can do that as well, but not all the time. And that's why people tend to neglect the word because uh, it seems so ordinary, but it's supernatural. And when, when I got saved, there was nothing supernatural about my, I heard the word, it made sense to me, I responded to the altar call, of course, my, I experienced so much peace and light on the inside, but that was it, I didn't cry, you know, I didn't, you know, do anything, I didn't roll on the ground, it was very simple. <laughs> when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, even worse... <laughs> Not worse, but even more ordinary. I was in a, this large congregation, and the guy preached about the Holy Spirit, that um, the Holy Spirit is a gift for every believer, and you receive the Holy Spirit just as you receive. The, um, the Christian receives the Holy Spirit just as the unbeliever receives the Holy Spirit. Just ask for him to come, and he will come into your life. And so go ahead and do it. So I asked the Holy Spirit, come into my life. Yeah, and that was it. I didn't feel anything. I didn't see anything. I didn't see, you know, ex fireworks, you know. Uh, the, 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 the spirit didn't hit me, and I fell on the ground. I didn't roll. I didn't laugh. I didn't dance. It was just like that. And the guy said, okay, so if you receive the spirit, start speaking in tongues. I said, what? He <laughs> said, yeah, you've received this. I said, really? And I was thinking, should I speak my native language? And the guy said, no, don't speak your native language. Just speak in a language you don't understand, that your mind doesn't understand. I said, okay. I started speaking in tongues, you know, just a, by faith. I didn't, just purely by faith. I didn't feel any prompting of the Holy Spirit, nothing. Purely by faith. And so I started speaking. And now in my mind, I was thinking, really? Is this it? He said, yep, yep, that is it. That is it. That's speaking in tongues. I said, okay. And um, okay, so I've received the spirit. And afterwards, I thought I would go out like in the book of Acts and start raising the dead and doing miracles, you know, like Acts and shaking the world. Nope, nothing happened. It was just me, the Holy Spirit, and speaking in tongues. And, and I was wondering, really, is this it? But somehow, you know, Faith in the heart will walk with doubt in the head. And I just kept on um, living my life, praying, speaking in, 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 in tongues, and doubting in my head for lo a long time. And I went, at this time I was in um, high school, and I went and I somehow started sharing my experience with some of my friends. And one of them said, oh, I want it as well. And so I called one of that guy, and we went to pray for him. And he even had a more marvelous, while I was doubting my head whether I'm speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit just hit this guy. He started weeping, spontaneously started speaking in tongues. And I was like, how can I be praying for someone to receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues when I'm questioning whether I have, whether my tongues are real? 
And, you know, other people will be having this experience. Someone told me that when he received the Holy Spirit, it was as if he was caught up to heaven and he had all this marvelous experience. I said, what? That's not my experience at all. I got into college. I joined this fellowship, marvelous, marvelous group of believers. That's where I had my foundation, my, my Christian foundation really was from that Christian student group, student-led. We didn't have a big man of God coming from somewhere to, you know, preach the word or minister. It was purely student-led. A pastor, when he became the pastor of the fellowship, was um, 18 years old. And at one time, one period, the Holy Spirit began to move in the place as well. You know, uh, I don't really know what we did. We used to spend a lot of time speaking in tongues, as you can guess. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit just hits the body of believers one day. And for a period, we were having all kinds of wonderful, blessed manifestations. You just sense the Spirit of God strong in that place. People will be laughing with joy dancing in the Holy Spirit. There were miracles. People were getting healed. Not only when we gathered as a body, even when people went back to their residence, all kinds of things were happening. You know, we heard one story about people would be drunk on the Spirit. And, you know, one guy was drunk on the Spirit. He didn't know what he was doing. He just took soil, spat in it, and made clay, and then went to um, a sister in the fellowship and put the clay on her eyes. And she used to wear glasses. And she now began seeing normally, you know, wild, outrageous things. And throughout this whole thing, I was just watching and everyone doing wonderful things. Nothing happened to me. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) I didn't dance once. I didn't have a word of knowledge. I didn't have anything, anything, not once. And I was saying, God, why are you doing this to me? (laughs) Why? Why me? Why me? But I knew that the word of God is constant, that every, you, you, you can depend on the word. And so I went to the word, I started reading the word, meditating on the word, finding what the word has to say about this. I actually saw that in the word, you can actually rejoice by faith. You know, the Bible says that um, even though, talking about Jesus Christ, even though we have not seen him, we love him. Even though we do not now see him, we believe in him. And we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's exactly what people were doing by the Spirit. But I saw that you could actually do the same thing by faith. You could rejoice and get drunk on the Spirit, starting off by faith. And actually, we had somebody come and teach us about these things. And when he was teaching, that's when I understood that, that you could actually get into these things by faith. And so I started doing it by faith. Praising God and rejoicing by faith. Other people were doing it by the Spirit. But as you do it by faith, you can get deeper into the Spirit. And the interesting thing is that after some time, you know, the, the, the move of the Spirit tends to wax and wane. Why? Because the Spirit comes so that the Word can germinate. After some time, God wants you to live by the Word and grow. And that's why the things of the Spirit tend to wane. So that you can grow in the word. And when you grow in the word, the greater things of the spirit can come upon you. And so those things that used to happen in our gathering began to wane. But as those were waning, I was getting stronger because I was using the word. And the word is consistent. So those, those of my 
my friends who were depending on the spirit, they too started to win while I was growing stronger. And so the funny thing was that, you know, of course you enjoy the deeper things of God, the deeper presence of God. And as you step in by faith, God responds to you. And so when they saw that I could get into these things by faith, they now started asking me to come and lead the congregation in getting into the spirit and rejoicing and creating that right atmosphere. And I really used to wonder, this is so interesting, because when the Holy Spirit wasn't moving, I couldn't get into it. Now that the Holy Spirit is no longer moving, you want me to come and lead. But that's because the word is consistent. The word will never fail. And another advantage of, you know, living by the, the word, training yourself on the word is that you grow in the word. You get better and better in rightly handling the word. You know that scripture we read in Hebrews 5 about you have need of um, milk. But after some time, you ought, by, by now you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the first principles of God's word. You have need of milk. And whoever subsists on milk is a babe. But strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use. In other words, the more you use the word, the more you practice the word, the stronger you are in the word. And I knew that the word of God, from my experience, I knew that the word of God can never fail. And I began to depend on the word in all situations. And you begin to encounter God through the word in all situations. There was a time back in college that someone broke into my room and stole my sound system and my stethoscope and a few, of, a few other things. And I was just so upset because I actually trusted God for money to buy those things. And someone came and just took it away. I was so upset. And I had a friend who said, ah, don't let it go. Just let it go. God would, you know, replace it some other way. And I said, okay, no problem. But it, I just couldn't let it go for some strange reason. I just, and I decided I'm, I'm going to use the words to get my stuff back. <laughs> so I opened scripture, which says that, um, 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 there's this scripture which says, I pursue, overtake, and recover all. There's another scripture which says, I will plant and I will eat what I plant. I will build and I will live in what I build. I won't plant and somebody else would live in it. I won't build and someone else would inhabit it, but I will eat the fruit of my own um, works. That's in Isaiah. And so I took all those two scriptures. I also took a second scripture which says that there is no peace for the wicked. And I said, that guy who stole my stuff, there is no peace for you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, God will have mercy on my soul. <laughs> But it's a scripture anyway, and I prayed it that God, don't let this person not have any rest as long as he's holding my stuff. And God, I want to get my stuff back. Angels, go forth and help me get my stuff back. And every night I would meditate on that scripture, think about it, confess it to myself, and praise God that I re receive my stuff. I did it for the first night, the second night. I did it for the first month. The second month... I just had a feeling that I ought to go back to my room and ask the guys in my room. I just was uncomfortable. Maybe they were the ones who took it, and now they'll be willing to give it back to me. And I told the guy who told me, ah, don't worry. It will be all right. God will replace it. I said, this is what I want to do. He said, okay, he will come with me. And so we went to my room. 
my former room in the hostel. By now, by this time, I'd graduated from college and I had um, moved out. But I went to the former room, and I now asked the occupant, and I told him, "This is what happened. Do you did you guys see it? Actually, what I meant is, did you guys steal it?" <laughs> But um, the, guy, the guy who came with me now went outside as I was talking with him. And my, the neighbor now came to him and was so agitated that what is happening? Why are you doing this? And he now be, started getting suspicious. And so he, you know, tried to follow up and talk with him. I now turned out that he was the one. He was living just next door. So he actually broke through the outside, came and took my stuff and went back. Very nice, clean. I commend him. You know, <laughs> great job. I'd have left it for him. It's just that I wanted my stuff back. <laughs> and so for some reason, God came upon him and he returned my stuff. I mean, that was a big, I think I was drunk on the spirit after that experience for a couple of weeks. Because I saw that this word works. This word works. You can encounter the power of God. You can encounter the presence of God through this word. This word works. Um, uh, two weeks ago, I was in the U.S. Um, we, we went for my association, uh, association of molecular pathologists meeting. And I had my wallet with my PR card in it. And with the PR, you need your PR card to return to Canada. For those of us who are not Canadian citizens. But you can stretch for your hand to me and pray that I'll get my citizenship soon. <laughs> but anyway... You need your PR card to get back on the plane. It's a recent regulation. And my PR card was in my wallet. And that wasn't very smart of me. And why I was carrying my, the most precious thing in my wallet, more precious than my credit card. And we were having the meeting in the convention center. And my, my wallet just dropped out of my card, out of my pocket on Friday. And then I now found out Friday night and my flight back was 6, 7 o'clock Saturday. I needed my PR card returned to me within 24 hours. If not, I'll be stranded in North, in North Charlotte. As beautiful as North Charlotte is, I mean, I prefer to come back <laughs> where my home is in Edmonton. I know I love it. Was, it was a great experience, but it's time to come home. And I needed my card within 24 hours, and I lost it. So I went to the lost and found, oh, I've lost my PR card. They said, oh, I lost my wallet. They said, oh, they've not seen your wallet. And I now began to wonder, what on earth am I going to do? I probably need, uh, my credit cards, everything was there, stranded. I didn't know anyone in North, um, in North Charlotte. And I was just wondering, what will I do? And I now remembered that experience I had. And I said, God can do the same thing again. And so I got scripture, pursue, overtake, and recover all. But I needed my PR card in 24 hours. And so I prayed and... Um, and, and that's, so the word works from your heart. And you need to give your focus and, and you affirm to, for the word to work, you have to express it out. You have to release it. You know, it's, it, you can have the word in your heart. And the word in your heart alone will not work. It has to be expressed either by word or action. The Bible talks about the confession of your hope. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. Because he who promised is faithful. Um, Romans 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you have to speak it out. And when you speak it out, it has to be your focus. You know, you can speak out the word but still be filled with anxiety and worry. That will choke the word. 
This is why it's important to train yourself in righteousness. Train yourself in how to apply the word, how to use the word. Because you have enemies fighting against that word to prevent it from working. And so then I remembered what I did. I went through it again and um, I got the scriptures. I started keeping it in my mind. I said, I'm going to get this. My, I'm going to get my wallet back. Uh, thank God. I went and I asked around. I went to the lost and found. They got my address that if um, we find your wallet, we'll contact you. And then the following day was a Saturday, really. People, uh, and this was a public convention center. Maybe 5,000 people present. I asked um, in the morning of the meeting. They hadn't found the wallet. Um, I came back three hours afterwards. They hadn't found the wallet. Um, 12 o'clock, I hadn't found the wallet. And I, was, I mentioned it to my friend. He said, oh, let me give you some money. Call and cancel your credit cards. And I was thinking, oh, I believe I'm getting my wallet back. I really don't want to cancel my credit cards. Uh, but maybe I should. Anyway, I called and I canceled my credit cards. And then we went to the airport. I asked, um, what will happen if I don't have my PR card? They said, oh, you can get a police report. And after some time, I, how, however long it takes. So, well, there was a... Eventually, even if I lost the PR card, I think after a few days, but I didn't want to stay in Charlotte without my credit card, without any stuff. How would I cope? And so I was still trusting God. And then at 3 o'clock, I got a call that's, that my wallet is at the lost and found. I was ah, sped to the convention center, <laughs> picked my wallet, and got back on the train, and got on the airport and made my way to Canada. So thank, thank God I won't be here to preach. <laughs> So the, the, but the, the important thing is that the word of God will work for you. God would, you would enc that's an encounter with God. You know, there are many ways we encounter God. We encounter God in worship. We encounter God in prayer. We encounter God in our daily walk with him. But in all those three ways, we can use the word to encounter God in a stronger measure. You know, even for the, th the things that Tarot tended to focus on, encountering God through the Spirit of God, dreams, visions, they tend to be by the Spirit. But you can even get into those things through the Word because the Word promises you such things. And you create the right atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to come and for God to inhabit His Word. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And do you know why this is the case? It's because when we praise God, we speak what the word says about him. We release faith in the atmosphere. And it's that faith-filled atmosphere that God comes into to inhabit. Notice what this scripture, which we said, um, let's go, that, um, the scripture in Acts in, sorry, in um, Exodus verse 5, it says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. In other words, he invoked God. You know, there, there's this um, Ouija board. What people, and, and Travis were talking about it, that the, uh, how many of you have heard of the Ouija board? Yeah, it is, uh, yeah. So what the Ouija board is, People believe it's somehow demonic, that you use the Ouija board to invoke evil spirits. And, but in the same, so the thought I'm trying to bring out is that just as you can invoke spirits 
through various types of practices, even in some cultural, some traditional religions in, in Africa, uh, some people invoke demons, and there's a way they invoke them. But that principle is actually from the word. And of course, we are not supposed to be scared of demons. We just cast them out. So, But the, the same principle of invoking is in the Bible. And this same scripture which we read, um, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is invoking the name of the, the Lord, and in his invoking the word, Jesus Christ inhabits that word or that faith that was re relieved. And that's why um, verse 5, it says, And the Lord descended in the cloud. Exodus 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. And when you read throughout when you read the, the Bible, you see that when God comes on the scene, the first thing he says is, I am God, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I am this. He's speaking out him, who he is. He's calling out his name. And because in calling out his name, it creates a faith atmosphere for him to manifest his presence. You know, God is always present here. Always. The Bible says we are the temple of God and the spirit of God inhabits dwells in us. So God is always present. But the manifestation of his presence varies. And one of the reasons it varies is the amount of faith all of us have placed in his name or have released. And when we are worshiping, why the presence of God fills the place in worship is that our faith and our focus is on who God is. And by releasing that faith, God inhabits and makes his presence manifest. And that's why we experience God in worship. Same thing in prayer. When you pray, your, pray, your prayers should be packed with scripture and with the word of God and you express it. And when you express it, God inhabits that faith and answers your prayer through the faith which you have released. That's the role of the word of God in your life, in prayer, in um, worship, in your daily encounter with God. The word of God invokes the presence of God. It invokes God's manifestation. It allows God to act on your behalf. So it's crucial for us to give, a, give time to the word, meditate upon the word, let it get inside you. The, God, the word will do marvelous things, marvelous things for you. You get to know God in a way you've never experienced. You know who God is. And as, as you know who God is, you also know who yourself, who you yourself are in God. Your identity forms and takes shape and character, and you become more firm and assured in who you are in Christ. Remember, it says that as you behold the glory of God as in a mirror, you yourself are changed, and you are changed into that same glory. In other words, you become more and more like God. Two things happen when you meditate in the Word. Number one, you get to know God more. Number two, you get to know yourself more because you're a child of God. You are an offspring of God. You're a son and a daughter of God. Therefore, you have the genes and the image of God. You are exactly who God is, and you grow and be who God called you to be. So you know God and you know yourself and you grow and be who you are. In 1 John 3, it says that I write to you young men because you are strong. 
The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. You are strong. The word of God abides in you and you've overcome the wicked one. Sometimes we focus too much on our weaknesses and our shortcomings and our failures. But that's not what God wants us that's not how God thinks about us. That's not where God wants us to be. God wants the word of God to abide in you. God wants you to be strong and God wants you to overcome the wicked one. Someone will say, well, I don't have any appetite for the word. You do. The scripture says that you love the word. It is your meditation all the day. And I know in the early days of my life, and this is why I really am committed to staying with the word. In the early days of my Christianity, not my life, my Christianity, um, I found out I was very inconsistent with reading the word. Sometimes I'll read it, other days I won't. And when I now began to see the importance of the scripture in my life, I now began to affirm or confess that I love your word. It is my meditation all the day. Whether I read the word that day or not, whether I feel like it or not, whether I feel like I love the word of God or not, that is what I would say. And the more I said it, it the more it became true. The more I began to love the word, the more I began to read the word and meditate in the word. And what actually happened was, the Bible says, it is God at work in you, both to will and to walk for his own good pleasure. So your love for the word, your devotion to the word is God himself that works it in you. So it's not a question of performance. It is a question of discipline, but still it is the word entering into you to give you the energy and desire to dig into the word. It will become so natural. Your love for the word will be so natural. And I began to confess it. When I got into medical school, I had to ratchet back because rather than reading my books, I was reading the word. And I now began to remember, my God, what's happening? I need to know this to pass my exam. So I had to discipline myself to read the word less. That will happen when you stir the word in you, you feed on the word and you digest it and it goes into your heart. It begins to take shape. It takes you over. It begins to work in your heart and your mind. It begins to renew your mind, your sense of who you are. It begins to transform you. It says we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God in a mirror, are transformed. That word will transform you. God has done all the work. All you need to do is yield to it. If you don't find yourself reading the scripture every day, Begin to say you love the word. It's your meditation all the day. The Bible says, sincerely desire the milk of the word that you may grow by. Well, I have no desire for the milk of the word. Well, say it that you do. Well, I want to tell the truth. If it is in the word of God, it is true. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to see it. The word says you desire the sincere milk of the word and you will grow thereby. Begin to desire it. The way to grow in God, there are four key things you ought to do to grow in the word. Number one, you need to study and meditate the, on the word. Study the word to understand it, to know it, you know, to appreciate it, to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, the eyes of your heart being flooded with light, that you may know the hope of his calling, you may know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and you may know the immeasurable greatness of his power at work in you who believe, which is according to the working of his mighty strength, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principalities and power, might and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world to come. And he set all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things for the benefit of the church, for your benefit. So I, I, I meditated on that scripture really to impress you. <laughs> 
just kidding, just kidding, so that I can use it for my own personal edification. But he, he, so the word is to, for your benefit. So meditate upon the word, know the word, understand the word, so that you can apply it to your life. Then begin to give the word first place. Have a reverence for the word. You know, the Bible talks about in Isaiah 62 verse 2, it talks about the man of, the person that God would um, have regard to and reverence for. It says that the man who is humble and who trembles at God's word, who has a, an awe and reverence and regard, uh-oh, 66, sorry, Isaiah 66 verse 2, who has an awe and reverence and regard for God's word. That is the person that God is going to love and go after and seek. The person who reveres God's word. Who plays, David says that I have loved your word more than my daily bread, more than my daily food. When the word and food, uh, uh, you, you, you actually put the word above your food, then you know that you are really getting there. All you really have to do is begin to affirm that you do that. You know, when Jesus Christ was explaining the parable of the sower, he says that the, if, you do not if you do not understand this parable, then how will you understand any other parable? And that parable was the word. So the word is the key to all other parables. And one thing in that parable, he says that the measure you give to the word is the same measure that the word will give back to you. In other words, if you think of the word lightly, so, I mean, God loves you. Brethren, God loves you so much. But the measure of study and care and attention you give to the word is the same thing the word will give back to you. It doesn't matter how much God loves you. That is his word. If you, if you respect his word, the word will respect you back. That is a basic principle. The Bible talks about wisdom that there were some people that forsook wisdom, and when they needed it, it wasn't there for them. I mean, God really loves you. He, would die, he died for you. He gave his life for you twice. He died for you. He rose from the dead. He said, I will live for you. The Bible says, he ever liveth to make intercession for you. In other words, he has given his life twice for you. He died once, and he has given his life forever. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. God loves you so much. Twice, for the unbeliever, he gave himself once. He died for them. But for the believer, he gives himself twice. He loves you so much. But the measure of thought and study you give to the word is the same measure of, you know, grace and power that the word will give back to you. But all you need to do is just begin to act on it because you really do. You really revere the word. You really love the word. You are a child of God. So number one, study the word. Number two, practice the word. Number two, number three, okay, did I give it, put them out of order? So number one is study the word. Number two is practice the word. Is the doer of the word that will be blessed. Meditating on the word gives you the capacity for faith, the capacity to act on the word. But in practicing the word, your faith grows and develops. Is the doer of the word that will be blessed. All you need to do is affirm it, confess it, say it. Just by saying it, you are a doer of the word. You know, you got saved by, by saying Jesus is my Lord. And you live by affirming the word of God in your life. And then give the word of God first place. Revere the word. You know, 
study it every single day. And, you know, just as I said in prayer, you know, just stay, um, start off small. You know, maybe 10 minutes every day, but do it consistently. And why I say start off small is that if you bite too large a chunk on one day, the next day when you think about what you need to do, your flesh will rise up <laughs> so strong with its power and its might. And you now have to, first of all, overcome this flesh. Oh, gosh, I have to read this Bible for one hour. Oh, gosh. <laughs> But if you read it for, let's say, five minutes, the flesh says, ah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Just read five minutes and we can get to breakfast. <laughs> yeah. But then when you now begin to do it consistently, it's like you are gradually building your strength. And then when the word of God comes in, when the flesh attacks you, you have the strength to face it. But never be discouraged. You know, you are believing God to break habits in your life. It really doesn't matter. Just stay with the word. I had a friend who was into all kinds of stuff, which I wish is not right to discuss from the pulpit. And he used to come to my poor ears to confess his sins. And I want to say, oh, no, I don't want to hear. <laughs> but he was my friend, and I had to listen. But each time he comes, I say, well, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your sins are forgiven you. Go, go forth and co make that confession. I didn't say go forth and sin no more. I said go forth and make that confession. Even if you sin, make sure you make that confession. And gradually his faith began to grow. And after some time, he broke away from his bad habits. You know, God will always forgive you. And once he forgives you, it's as if you never did it before. So if it happens again, it's as if that's the first time he's happy and he's willing to forgive you. But stay with the word because sin can deceive so don't let, God will forgive you, but you may get to the point where you think, oh, I don't even need to ask for forgiveness. Stay with the word. Keep on affirming the word, not only for habits, for anything, any need you have in your life. Get the word into you. Meditate upon it, you know, every day for a small period of time. But it's the consistency that matters. And then the fourth thing is that after the word is in your heart, it will prompt you, oops, Oh my goodness, 550. I'm time up. <laughs> it will prompt you to do stuff. Um, do what it tells you to do. Just act upon it. Just act upon it. Um, and I, I, I read uh, um, um, the beautiful testimony about um, that was on your wall, Jaren about when God prompted, there was this um, lady without shoes, and the word prompted, give her your shoes. A year after, she got saved. That was powerful. And why I'm referring to it is because I know I know of another experience too about a lady who once came to me. She, she and her sister used to, and that's love. The word of God prompting you to act on love. And she came to me and said that um, she and her sister we're always fighting at home, saying nasty and ugly things to one another. And I said to her, uh, just act on the word which says love her. And to do that, just tell her that, oh, I love you, you are beautiful, and give her a hug. And she, she acted on it. And she went home. When there was occasion for strife, she gave her sister a hug. I love you, you are beautiful, and, um, uh, you know, have a great day. And her sister was moved and said, get off me, you lesbian. <laughs> so when I saw her, I asked, what happened? And she told me this story. 
I said, continue, just continue, just continue, because that's what the word says, right? Just continue acting on the word. Three weeks after the sister was at the altar in our church, accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I mean, that, that's what love would do for you. That's what acting, when the word prompts you to do something. Yeah, that's what it, and of course, I seem like the big, wise man of God, but it was the, the, that, the lady who acted on the word and who really the praise should go to. Amen. So I'll just end with that. Um, let's stand up. My time is off. I've used too much time. I preached too long. <laughs> Yeah, so let's just get on our feet, and um, uh, we, we just have um, 10 minutes for, 8 minutes before, um, but um, Karis, could you just get on the keyboard? I just want you to just, you know, think, um, have your focus on God and speak to Him. It's really about um, you and your relationship with God. And... Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just, just talk to him. You know, God wants to transform you. God wants to take you to a different level of glory. God wants to move you from glory to glory. Both by his spirit and by his word. Both by his spirit and by his word. And we really need to hunger and thirst for the two. We need to hunger for the word. We need to hunger for the things of the spirit. We need to be able to create the right atmosphere for God to move in our midst. And really, God wants to encounter us. Just as we want to encounter him, God also wants to encounter us. It's a symbiosis. It's a two-way relationship. Uh, and I know that time is really fast spent, and we'll just, yeah, 10 minutes, okay. Okay, amen. You know, as an act of faith, let's, if, if you really want a deeper experience with God, through his word, through his spirit, let's just come to the front. If not, it doesn't need to take so long, and we'll be done very soon. Yeah, just come. Um, it's really between you and God. You know, and um, so, you know how God, you know, the Bible says the Lord invoked, he proclaimed the name of the Lord. You know, and this is one of the things we need to practice, you know, in your own private life, when you have fellowship with God, you know, we need to learn how to, if, to invoke his name. To learn about who he is, who he is to us, our father, our God, the lover of our souls, our shepherd, the bishop of our souls, our great high priest before the father. That's Jesus Christ. We also need to 
create the right atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move. And that's just by acknowledging Him. That we are His temple, that He resides and He abides in us. That His presence is here, that He's walking with us here. So let's, let's just have that in our food. Let's meditate on the Lord from that point of view, who He is, that He's present here. That He's walking in our midst. That He's doing His purpose and His plan. That He's manifesting His gifts, healings, miracles, signs and wonders. That He's loving people. That His grace is abounding and is shared abroad in our midst. You know, let that be your focus. See, imagine that in the, in the mind of your eye. That's meditation. See it in your mind's eye. Who God is and what he is doing in our midst. And let's magnify him. You know, sometimes we focus on our problems. We focus on the world, what things are doing. I mean, and it's tough because we have our senses to trouble us. But in such times, when we desire and need God to move, we need to take our focus off the things of the world and make, put them on God, on his faithfulness, on his grace, on his goodness, on his love, on his compassion, that he will never fail, that he's always there, that he's faithful to the end. That should be our focus. We need to shift away from the things, the noise that is happening all around us to envelop us and to take off our gaze and our eyes upon God. Remember Moses, he said he turned again to see the burning bush. We need to turn away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And make that a, not only in our meetings. Yes, it's important to, for us to do that when we gather together. But in your own daily private devotion. When you wake up, don't first think about your problems. Think about the God and the great one in you that is able to put you through and to put you over. Oh, Father, we adore you. We praise you. We thank you. You know, just speak, declare his name to him today. You know, focus on him. The great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, our great high priest before the Father, whoever liveth to make intercessions for us. The lion and the lamb, the lamb who loved us and gave himself for us to free us from our sins. And to, he has made us kings and priests unto our God and our Father, and we shall reign on the earth. He loved us and, and gave himself for us to cleanse us, having washed us with the washing of water with the word, to present us to himself, glorious, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and blameless before him. He made us his own righteousness in Christ Jesus. He made us more than conquerors through him who loved us. He made us new creation. He created us in his own image and his likeness. He lives and he abides in us. He's ever-present, our ever-present God, the God, our healer, our deliverer, our savior, the mighty one of Israel, the one who speaks and brings it to pass. Power and might are in his hands and none can withstand him. He's the sovereign God. He alone possesses immortality. He dwells in unapproachable light. No man can see him or have seen him. He's the king eternal, invisible, the only wise God. To him be glory and immortality, both now and to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the ages. 
He's the one who's seated at the right hand of God, far above all principalities and power. He's the one who holds the name above every name. At his name, every knee shall bow of beings in heaven and on earth and below the earth. And every tongue shall confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the one that walks in the midst of the seven candlesticks and holds the seven stars in his hands. The glorious one, the beginning and the end, the living one. He was dead and behold, he's alive forevermore. And he holds the keys of death and hell. Blessed be your name, our Father. Blessed be your name, our triumphant and glorious God. Blessed be your name, holy one, righteous one. Your glory fills the earth. And thank you because even in your awesomeness, you have raised us to sit with you at the right hand of God, at the majesty of high, to walk with you, to talk with you, to encounter you, to know you in a deeper way, to move from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith, so that we'll never be as the same again. Amen. Let's, let's all say this together as an affirmation of, you know, our faith and who God is. Say, Father God, let's say it together. Father God, we thank you for this encounter which we're having with you. Thank you because you reveal yourself to us as our Father, as the lover of our souls, as our fortress as a shield. Oh, Father, we love you. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your word. Thank you because we are growing from grace to grace. From glory to glory. You are revealing yourself to us. In the word and in the spirit. Father, we, we are getting to know you in a deeper measure. We walk with you. We are your children. Father, thank you because in the days to come, you are manifesting yourself in an ever stronger dimension. You are revealing yourself to us. We are beholding you face to face. We are having encounters with you. You are manifesting your gifts, the gifts of healings, walking of miracles, the special gift of faith, word of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits, tongues and interpretation, prophecy. We convert them all and we will see it together as a congregation and in our individual lives. I will give all the honor, all the praise to the glorious, majestic, blessed name of Jesus. Amen.